Hello and welcome everybody to Sonic Talk number episode number 483 recording today Wednesday the oh what is it the 1st of March no, is that the Ides or that's just the 1st of March? I, I don't know. It has some sort of uh, Roman uh, implications, which may actually have... No, it has no relevance to the topic we've got today. I'm totally the wrong period of history. Anyway, welcome. This is the podcast that talks about music technology, music production, software, controllerism, uh, soft synths, plugins, all of that kind of stuff and everything surrounding it, including the uh, the business of working within the, that said music industry. We want to say thank you very much to watch for you watching. We're streaming live via Sonic state.com forward slash live via YouTube live. Welcome to you all. Welcome to the IRC chat room, which I think we got working as well. So thank you very much for joining us. Also, uh, stay tuned if you're interested in uh, winning a copy of Isotopes Neutron. That is up for grabs a little bit later on. And also don't forget to subscribe. We're 4K off our 100K subscribers. So I really want to get there. But I'm guessing if you're watching this, you are a subscriber. Um, unless this is after the fact. Anyway, you know what I mean. We want to get there. Tell your friends and all that sort of thing. Let's get on to our guests. We're going to say hello. We have Mr. Robbie Bronneman right there. We haven't seen him for ages. Robbie, how on earth are you? I'm very good, thank you. Just back from my travels. So Yeah, yeah. you posted you posted a picture of what looked like a sort of a, a Caribbean paradise. So you've been on a kind of an 80s cruise, right? Yeah, basically it was like it was like one of those there seems to be loads of them happening for all sorts of different eras of music, but some company take over a luxury liner and then they just have like seven well-known artists play one a night and people come and pay a lot of money to come and sort of have a holiday and hear music in the evening. So yeah, this was a, this was an eighties theme one. So I was on there with Berlin and uh, all sorts of other people. Um, and yeah, it was fun. Fun. So we did like two 60 minute gigs at the beginning of the week and the rest of the time was a holiday. <laughs> Wow, that sounds like that sounds yeah. like a like a pretty much of a dream gig. Of course, unless yeah. you had to be anywhere, then you'd have to get off the boat somehow. So where did you? Where... Jamaica, Jamaica, the Cayman Islands, uh, Barbados. Gee, what a gig! I got to find myself some. I've got to find myself a gig like that. That sounds awesome. Sounds like a lot it of was fun. Awesome. Yeah, and there were lots of bands there we knew, and so people we hadn't seen for a while. So basically, it was just like a big band love fest. So we all just sort of <laughs> hung out and just had a laugh, really. So it was nice. Have you, ever been, uh, have you ever been on a cruise before? Is that your first time or one of those sort of Not things? Really. I don't think I, I, I would never want to go on a cruise if it wasn't like that. I, I can imagine what a cruise would normally be like. I imagine it's all the stereotypes of you know, just very sleeping, rubbish entertainment and all that kind of thing. I don't, you know, yeah. It's basically like, it's basically like just using the facilities of a cruise ship for something different, really. So I've, got an idea. I've got an idea. I reckon what they should do with maybe Frankfurt or one of the shows which isn't as big as it used to be, they should just put it on a cruise ship and make a kind of... <laughs> Make a make a music show. Then we'd obviously get press passes, which might mean free travel. So I, if anyone out there wants to put like a, a music technology show on a uh, on a cruise ship, I'm ready for that. Nice. I think that's a great idea. Well, next time maybe. And we'll also say hello to Mr. Ty Unwin. How are you, Ty? Ty is here from his uh, studio where he's uh, mastering, making lots of music and film competition, one which was live last night, I believe. Yeah, 1066 went out last night. Yeah. Coming back to the cruise ship, I worked on a cruise ship. Did you? Back in the day, straight out of uni, and uh, they were the best eight months of my life. Wow. <laughs> oh, okay. Only in certain 
Yeah, they were. I mean, they were great. Don't get me wrong. I'd never do them again. I mean, you know, you got you did eight months and then you basically had to come home and uh, get do back own, to. Yeah, because, do your washing. Well, the thing is, oh, no, God, no, it wasn't. Everything was sorted for you. It was we got paid a lot of money to do very little. And um, it, I mean, it was it was great, but it wasn't real life. It's basically it's like a constant holiday. And you think that constant holiday sounds amazing, but believe me, after eight months of constant holidaying, it's, um, no, it's good to get back to real life. But Where's you down? Where's you yeah. down? And well, also, you, yeah. yeah, sorry. Uh, well, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I think there must be a bit of a delay on the line. Um, but uh, we want to get back to you a bit more because I'm very interested to talk to you about your uh, recent TV pro. This was a BBC uh, pro, quite a big production, and uh, tidied the music to it, So as, as he does. Uh, but let's get uh, say hello to our other guest, Mr. Charles Chicky Reeves, music hello. producer, front of house, live sound guy, various other things, a collector of uh, multiple monitor speakers by the looks of things, or <laughs> and reel-to-reel tape machines. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Um, I gotta say, uh, Robbie, having gone on that cruise, that that was the last gig of their front of house guy, and of course he had to choose the uh, the cruise. I couldn't go on. Yeah, I, but I had a, I had a lot of fun, Robbie. Howard. I got to say again. I was going to say you didn't say it's for Howard's front of house. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry for Howard Jones' front of house, but it was great. I had a great time just uh, staying here, writing research papers. And- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> looking at the photos that you were posting on facebook yeah okay, yeah well uh... yeah th- thanks for the instagram feed it was great i really loved it yeah, <laughs> uh, we, we sent we sent we sent sean out with a bang chicky so you know um <laughs> he's, he's happy he's happy to hand the mantle over now because he's probably got a hangover for the next two years yeah. Ah, well, a top gig. Uh, sounds very much like it. Um, anyway, let's get on to some uh, some some stuff. Um, gosh, I, I'm not sure which one to do first. Maybe we could start with this one. This is the uh, Colin Bender's 12 uh, hour modular jam, which, as you can imagine, uh, is a kind of. If you, I, I don't expect you to kind of uh, call in with the. Yeah, I remember it, that bit was really good because uh, not many of us have time that. But as we know, Colin Benders uh, from Kytopia in, in Utrecht has a, a very musical approach to using this stuff, and he regularly does live streams. And this live stream was different. He just did a 12-hour straight, but at the same time, he was running uh, the idea of user oh, user interaction. So the users via a web interface could kind of take over the sequences and various aspects of it while he took a break or whatever and it was just a, i thought it was a really interesting idea just generally speaking you know i mean maybe a bit niche for a, a mass audience but you could imagine something like this could work somehow i don't know robbie you've got a lot of synths well, something like, that- <laughs> well yeah you say that it's, it's a bit of an ironic comment and when you've got ty on the show but anyway then we'll skip over that uh, <laughs> <laughs> i've got a few synths I've got a few meaningful synths. I'm going to put that extra word Ooh, in. Oh, that's fighting talk. Okay. Anyway, there we go. <laughs> um, uh, no. Um, yeah, I can see that. That's pretty cool. I mean, I, I immediately thought, imagine the idea of everyone live with an iPhone app and then you were running as something live and you could, you, people could kind of contribute to sort of a, a long extended version of a song while you're performing live with electronics. Yeah, I don't know. Do you think, I mean, obviously it would need a certain amount of uh, clever programming and, and not being able to blow it too much. But I mean, certainly for, for installation gigs like that, I think it could be kind of an interesting interactive concept. And maybe for gear demos as well, it could work, I suppose. Yeah, 
I didn't really get a chance to properly look at it. So, so, so can you just just briefly say how he was managing to do that? Was it like a well, custom interface? Yeah, is it, because when you go to the website, which uh, I have here, hold on, let me just uh, bring up the page. I go to the website, and uh, if I click anything, what's going to happen is it's going to uh, start the, the flow. But there's this little button here that says Sequencer, which uh, presumably is live, and then you get a kind of web interface. But I can't see what it is without him actually being live, which is a bit, uh, obviously, you have to just take his word for it that it was a cool idea. And uh, But generally speaking, I mean, the thing about Colin Bender stuff is it is actually very melodic and not just bleepy blop. You know, it's it's not the sort of... He's a, he's a very accomplished musician. I mean, his background is he was a kite man in uh, Holland, which is a big, uh, I think it's kind of like a big band thing. He's a trumpet player, and I think he's he's made a, a, you know, a decent living out of it, touring with a very big band doing kind of whatever the type of numbers that he does. And this is a very different uh, direction for him. I'm not sure the fans of his previous work will be buying the albums of his latest work, put it that way. It's, it's a very different musical direction. But uh, So it's an interesting idea. I know, Ty, would you, uh, you know, when you did the Sonic Talk thing, you turned up with a whole bunch of things, and it was essentially a similar process, except you asked people in advance. Do you, how would you have felt if it had been an interactive uh, uh, um, performance like uh, Mr. Benders just did? No, people would have just screwed it up. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I want to do. So, no, uh, without being facetious, I think it's a great idea. I think from my point of view, what what I should kind of do is differentiate between the technical side of things and the uh and the musical side of things and then the end result i think in terms of the technical side of things i think it was great i actually did dip in and out of it when it was actually live ah okay so i think the technical side of things is a great idea i also think that the uh as a musician it's obvious that he is exactly as you say he's a great musician uh, the my only caveat in all of this is that the end result that was coming out for 12 hours or whatever it was. I mean, it didn't kind of personally float my boat at all. Um, and, and also the fact that, you know, I'm quite, I'm quite down to earth when it comes to these kind of things. And I, I sit there and go, anyone that thinks that someone wants to sit for 12 hours or 24 hours and watch them mess about, basically, I just think I don't kind of guess it. I can't get my head around it if I'm honest. I wouldn't. I mean, when I did the Sonic State thing, I can understand why anyone would want to watch me fart around for five minutes. So for for twelve hours or twenty four hours of it, I think there's a. I don't know. I don't get. It. I honestly don't get it. But I mean, what? from a technical point of view, fantastic. Um, but musically, it did there was, you know, the idea of within there. I'm sure there were some fantastic ideas and some um, some great improvisation and some wonderful bits. But my argument would be. So take those wonderful bits, go and spend a couple of months in studio and turn them into a proper piece of music, and then I'll listen to them. I don't really want to watch you writing them or messing with them in the first place. That's something that you do privately for me. Ah, okay, something in the privacy. I think that's a fair comment. I know, Charles, I like the idea, uh, I don't know about you, Charles, of, uh, of turning it all on, improvising for 12 hours, and then possibly having sort of 12 albums that you can then release over the, the course of, well, maybe the next 12 years. I mean, we're way off that, and it would take a certain amount of skill, but it's an interesting idea, right? Yeah, I thought it was, you know, I, I checked, I mean, I, I received it, or received word of it about 12 hours ago, so I haven't had a chance to watch all of <laughs> you it. Mean you mean you have been watching it all for 12 hours? <laughs> <laughs> 12 hours straight. Uh, I had watched a bit of it, and, and I liked what I heard. I thought it was quite beautiful. It reminded me a lot of the Alessandro Quattini stuff. Um, 
it's, I mean, I know it's easy because he does sense, but there was some, some of the same beautiful aspects in, in what was happening. Um, but the, the audience interaction thing, I thought was quite brilliant. And also, as we saw with Bodie McBoatface, quite dangerous too, because ah, okay. you know, people could wreak havoc on that sort of thing. But luckily for him, they didn't. And it, and it turned out to be some, some cool and interesting things. But like Ty said, you know, it's just, it'd be nice to take those ideas and go and turn them actually into songs. But I think the reason why it's kind of fun, though, is because it's you're checking into a sort of a stream of consciousness, or in this case, multiple mm. consciousnesses. So I like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, if people have been spending the last five days watching a, a giraffe online who's just about to give birth. <laughs> and that's become an internet phenomenon. So why shouldn't people watch since for 12 hours sort of give birth to a few albums? I don't know. That, uh, but, very, that's very well said. Yeah, very well said. I was going to say, you know, people are also willing to tune in and watch... Uh, a Korean woman smash her face into food. So, you know, it's, it's amazing what will go over on the internet. <laughs> Actually, if only we could find a way of making money out of it, then we'd all yeah. be millionaires. <laughs> anyway, uh, you can check this out at colinbenders.com. Um, I, I don't know when his next... Uh, there isn't a schedule here, but I, I, I don't know when the next thing's happening, but it's well worth checking out. I think he streams it via YouTube Live looking at it because you wouldn't want to have to edit that and then upload it to YouTube. That would be a nightmare. I mean, it would take... Well, anyway, a very, 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 very long time. So uh, let's have a look at this then. This is Bitwig Studio 2 at uh, yesterday on the 28th. Obviously, the thing that makes this different is it's really interesting. There's lots and lots of modulators and uh, a kind of synthesis parameters, effectively, for modulating plugins and synths and automation and that sort of thing. And it seems very much like a kind of synthesis DAW dream, really. If you're, if you're into soft synths and you're into that kind of stuff, or presumably mod, just having that kind of modular nature, it's, it's quite an interesting concept and very, very different. I don't know, Charles, I, I, have you tried Bitwig? I mean, it's obviously, as I, we know, many DA, switching DAWs is not a thing to be undertaken lightly, right? Yeah, I, I have, um, I mean, I'm mainly Pro Tools because of all the mixing I do. But I've got Pro Tools and Logic and Ableton and uh, Studio One now and uh, reason and God knows what else I have. A digital performer. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I have all these, but it, it is so hard to switch. It, it, it almost doesn't matter how cool the feature set is. I, it's very difficult to switch over. So, yeah, I haven't tried it yet. But it does look cool. It looks great. I just don't know if I'm going to learn another program. So, Sarah, you mentioned you got Studio One. I'm, I'm noticing a lot of people are uh, picking up on Studio One. I mean, is that because you've got clients who are using it, or because it's just a kind of it's an environment that you can pick up quick and you know you get that kind of aspect to it? Uh, all my clients are pretty much Pro Tools and occasionally Logic. Uh, right. It just sort of depends on the level of client. But um, but I, the reason why I went for Studio One is because I like the idea of how you can do these multiple scratch pads and have multiple arrangements of songs and still go back to the original and I, I like that idea and it's it, to me it's like a mixture of pro tools and uh ableton together yeah. mm. so. interesting i mean the other thing obviously about uh bitwig is it's parity across uh windows linux and osx which i i know i've been on about before which i think even I've, I've been banging on about for probably years that that sort of parity is something that's sort of magical that's one might want to achieve but so far the linux part hasn't really kind of made much difference i don't know if it's ever likely to in your lifetime uh no not really and you know not for me i'm i mean yeah i'm i'm mac and in terms of bitwig i mean it looks it again exactly like chicky said it looks great but 
there was a stage where I would have jumped on this because it was another thing to try. But I realized a few years ago that having been, I mean, basically I'm a Nuendo man, a new, Nuendo and Cubase man. And, uh, you know, I was using Ableton because that gives you different slants. I was using, I was using live, but then I was also using logic. I was using, you know, kind of touching on pro tools, but you know, logic and uh, reason and exactly all the rest. And then there was one day when I just thought, oh, this is ridiculous. This is, I kind of, all the programs apart from Nuendo and Cubase, I know kind of okay, but every time, a, you know, anyone that came in that had anything of those kind of files, I just think, oh, this is now a pain. So I just stopped. I literally just stopped. And so now, don't touch Pro Tools. I stopped with all the logic. I stopped with all the upgrades. I don't have use anything now apart from Nuendo and Cubase and Live for, you know, kind of more loop stuff. You know, in terms of door, as you say, changing door is a huge ordeal. If you're going to do it properly, if you want it as a plaything, then fine. But you know, kind of, um, I don't have time to just do playthings when it to, comes. Yeah, to to know how how it would all work, I suppose. Yeah. Right. But it looks great. I mean, the whole point with all the modulators and whatever. I mean, it looks a great way. Of, it looks a nice alternative way of looking at things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've 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 not tried it and. I won't. I won't be trying it. And exactly as Chicky said, even if it was absolutely amazing, there was still. I still wouldn't. I wouldn't move over. <laughs> I wouldn't try. Well, it. that's fair enough. It's great though that there's this amount of choice. I mean, that's the thing that I find now. I mean, there, there is a lot of choice. And the other thing that uh, I should mention, I did a. Uh, they did win our kind of best software of uh, of Nam. They got a little rosette for it, and it was partly because they were showing it on one of the uh, Surface uh, Studios, and it was on a. It was a massive touchscreen, and it just. It, it was. It looked like it. Sh- it just looked so impressive as p- as part of it, and the fact that you can work. You know, they're 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 integrating that touch stuff directly into the interface. I know there are other DOWs that are as well. I don't know, Robbie. I'm guessing you're the same. You know, you got you've got your work. You can't really sort of go. I know. I'll, I've got a film score to do next week. I'll see if I can use a DOW. I don't know in it just for kicks, well, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I use Logic since version one. You know, since I that's I've always used that. I, I, I've never used Pro Tools in my life. Literally, I've never used it. I, I had to use it for one demo I did for TC at NAM once, just to get something together. And and I used Live, a bit like Ty says, for a bit for audio manipulation, and then throw it back into Logic because that's the platform I know. Having said that, I did. I was very interested in this when it first came out, and did say to myself, I'll wait till kind of the proper next iteration of it. Um, to, because I, I would like, I do like the idea of just like I use my modular as a kind of an audio processing device as opposed to a synth. I quite like the idea of having a dedicated program I can open up, which has just got all my all the plugins in it that I use creatively, as opposed to the kind of sonic surgery type plugins. All those kind of plugins um, and make interesting chains and throw audio backwards and forwards into it, a bit like I do with Ableton. But this looks like it might just be a little bit more. A little bit more fun, and um, yeah, so I might I might well give it a go just for that reason, really. I guess from a composition point of view, it might be good. Like in the same way, Chicky, you said, you know, like Studio One for those kind of scratch pad ideas, all in the same document. That makes things easy. I've got Bitwig Studio here. I think uh, I think the upgrade. Let's have a look uh, by Bitwig. I think it goes for. Uh, it's three nine nine US dollars, and it uh, you upgraded one hundred and sixty nine bucks. So I mean, there is you know there is a price to this. I mean, they've been going for quite some time. 
Uh, obviously, they haven't got the same legacy as because they're only at version two as a lot of the other DAWs. So, I mean, I guess it's also quite hard to force your way into being early adopters. I'm guessing maybe people who are into Ableton might see this and kind of it's a transition between a, a standard linear, non-linear DAW and a kind of clip launcher because you get both of those things. So, you know, it might be something that they would consider. That, that, and, oh, sorry, I'm sorry, sorry I missed. I was going to just say pricing-wise because I haven't looked at DAWs for so long because I'm so used to Logic. Is that kind of a kind of a and a standardized kind of price for because I mean I know Logic is like ridiculously cheap, so is is that is Logic kind of ahead of the pack in terms of being offered at such a crazy low price, or are all the others kind of comparatively similar at that kind of three hundred four hundred euro kind of price? No, Logic is is by far probably the cheapest value proposition, assuming you already have the hardware to run it. I guess. Okay. Okay. And, and, and uh, I mean, I went to uh, Apple Briefing at NAMM and I saw, you know, I mean, some of the stuff that it's now doing and the things they're integrating, they're really interesting. You know, they're really kind of, there is stuff going on. It's just a shame that they haven't got it backed up with a, you know, a brilliant music creation piece of hardware yet. But that's another story. Let's not get into that too much. Yeah. But it is a, a good process. I know, um, Charles, you look like you're about to chip in yeah. there. I, was you stro- I saw you stroke your beard. <laughs> exactly. it's, a, it's a good cue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I don't know if you guys saw that, saw this, but um, I can't remember which website just put out this article talking about the new features in GarageBand. Like, oh, yeah. It has this, this new feature where it exports automatically to the trash. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's, export straight to trash as an option. Yeah, I did see it, that. That was kind of got, funny. It's got like a chord thing that doesn't. The only chords it doesn't play are C, D, G, and A. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Uh, so I, I thought I'd share that. Yeah, no, I thought that was, that was uh, most amusing. I mean, uh, obviously, the reference is that obviously lots of people have GarageBand, and it's for noodling. You know, lots of people yeah. will just noodle in it. I mean, obviously, there are people who uh, who, who have uh, professional uses for it. And in fact, the latest updates to it make it much more DAW-like, the way you can run these kind of derivatives of audio units from third parties in it and everything. I mean, it's really starting to get super powerful now. Uh, assume, you know, and if you have maybe a Mac, uh, uh, an iPad Pro, something like that, you know, you'd be starting, you'd be able to get, a, a lo- you know, a long way in it before you needed to uh, think about upgrading to you know something a more fully fledged DAW for sure. Mm. Um, let's see then. I think maybe uh, now is a good time to have a word from our sponsors, uh, I, and I will now bring it on. This is Isotopes Neutron. If you're a regular watcher to the show, you'll know that uh, they've been uh, offering. This is a competition prize, but it doesn't. It's not just that. It's an automated mixing tool allows you to analyse the mix in visual ways that you wouldn't necessarily get from your ears or be able to identify from your ears. So you can see frequency conflicts. You can have suggestions on how specific tracks might be a starting point for processing. And as we've heard from various panelists before, you know, it actually works very well as you know, just set it up and start as a mixing point. It's a very good place to start. But it will also allow you to take existing mixes and identify frequency collisions as we see here make assumptions as to what you might want to try on the kick or the bass or the vocal those sort of things those sort of sounds very much well worth looking at if you want to check out go to isotope.com forward slash neutron and you get a full demo as with all of the isotope products say automatic instrument detection lots of visual and straightforward controls using their best dsp yet and the smoke doesn't come out of your computer, which is the gag I use almost every week, but I don't think I used it last week. Anyway, Isotope Neutron, 
isotope.com forward slash neutron do check it out and we want to say thank you to them for uh, sponsoring the show and also we have a competition for you uh, last week we asked you to tweet the hashtag best mix ever and neutron and we got a winner and the winner is a chap called I guess it's a chap because it's called Darren displaced Darren uh, and he tweets I want and then the uh, the, the uh, best mix ever and neutron and isotope Inc and Sonic State I've got and that is Twitter handle is at Eddie Rowe that's E-D-D-Y-R-O-E. So uh, at Eddie Rowe, uh, Displaced Aaron, if you are listening or you have other ways, please get in touch with us and we will put you in touch with Isotope and you have a full working copy of Isotope Neutron coming your way. In fact, we are doing it again. Let's do it again this week. Isotope are giving away another copy of uh, Neutron. All you have to do is tweet the hashtag. Yeah, it has to be a Twitter thing. Uh, it's just easier for us to pick winners and it makes the whole thing seamless. The tweet, the hashtag, see your mix. That's S-E-E, as in see your mix. And the hashtag Neutron to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. So that's the hashtag See Your Mix, all one word, the hashtag Neutron, N E U T R O N, to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. And you'll be entered for the competition. Thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. <coughs> and uh, thank you to the sponsors. So um, let's see what's next. Um, did you see this? This uh, piece on hooks from Propellerheads. A very nicely put together video from Ryan Harlan. And it's sort of an analytical look at how you make Today, catchy hooks, what hooks are. We're going to talk about a topic that, in some ways, is a follow-up to the melody writing tutorial we recently did. In other ways, it's not. We're going to attempt to define a set of guidelines for how you can incorporate hooks into your songs and melodies. I can hear some of you already saying, hooks and melodies, those are the same thing, right? Well, not really. And there's lots of examples and lots of ways on how you might try it things. It's an, inter- it's an interesting video. I mean, I, I, in some ways, it's kind of weird that you are scientifically kind of assessing what a hook is and what those sort of things are. But it gives some really good and interesting ideas that I wonder, um, you tie, because I mean, you have to compose daily, you know, minutes, hours, lots and lots and lots and lots of music. I mean, Sometimes the muse is not with you. I'm not you personally, but with one, and sometimes it is. I mean, do you find that you have, when you're struggling for something, are there kind of tips and tricks that you could just go, I'll try this and it might get me started or it might, you know, I know it'll work? Yeah, every time. Uh, You can't, exactly as you say, because because the position that, you know, kind of we're in, we have to, you can't wait for the muse to strike. You basically... You know, if I have to, if I have to write twelve minutes of music today, I have to write twelve minutes of music today. You know, I can't. You can't decide. <clears throat> I'll just sit and wait for it to come. And so, I have two heads. I've said this many times before. So I have two heads. I have autopilot head and I have creative head. And if things are going well and I'm, I've got time, then creative head appears and I'm creative. And then if I'm sitting there and it's four o'clock in the morning and I've still got however much to write before nine o'clock in the morning quite often it'll switch into autopilot head and autopilot head is essentially doing exactly what this um this video is talking about really because it's it's applying uh, tricks a trick i you know i've i've never ever hidden the fact that if to do what to do what i do you have to have tricks you have to have things that are you the things that your voice you have to find you know kind of things to make things work and that's production tricks it's melodic tricks harmonic tricks and that's what it is we're just like little musicians that that uh, magicians that uh just happen to turn it into music and so you have to to get find those tricks you have to analyze and so any video like this that essentially 
takes it all apart and you know kind of makes you analyze music for me it's fantastic it's it's brilliant because it's something that you don't do every day of the week you watch this and once you learn your tricks you learn about hooks you learn about melody you learn about harmony you then apply it and you don't have to consciously think about it all the time only whilst you're learning then once you've learned them you can keep referring back to them without thinking no, that's, that's an interesting point about that. I mean, I think the one thing that I've I found about it is I haven't really thought about it. I, I mean, I, I do tend to sit there until I find something that sparks me off. And then, you know, if I've got to flesh that one bar, two beat, four bars kind of sketch into something, then that's when I would apply those things. I don't know, Charles, are you, are you the same or do you find that you've got kind of you have more time or I mean, how does it work for you? Uh, no, I, well, I, I, I go into to using tricks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but what, you know, there's a part later in the video where he talks about doing stuff that's kind of weird. And so what I'll do is I'll actually start out with the, all the tricks and, and can be quite formulaic. And then I just start to sort of mangle things until it becomes something that I find very interesting. And that's what I end up going with. But I, I thought the video was fantastic. I, yeah, <laughs> brilliant job. That was really great. Yeah, uh, really great video and very, very useful in terms of... So that's interesting. So you, as you say, you kind of like... You take a piece that might be straight to begin with, and then you ap- apply your creative process to it. That's right. Yeah, um, yeah. I'll do things like you know sometimes it's running it through something, or you know even taking stutter at it and or beat repeat and Ableton or something like that, and just just seeing what happens. And if I like something, I'm always there to just record it. You know, print a bit of that, and then I come back to it and. And I, I also try to get a bit of distance. So I'll work on some piece of music and then I'll not look at it for like two months and just sort of forget that it even exists. And then I'll come back, intentionally come back to it. And it's like I'm now working on somebody else's piece of music and then I, you know, add on top of that. But um, but yeah, the, like all the four steps that were in that video, I will I'll always apply all four of those steps. And I thought it was really good that they... Actually, it's kind of bad that they made a video about it. <laughs> it all seems so <laughs> so logical and obvious. Yeah, I know what yeah. you mean. Yeah, and now suddenly all the, it's like once Charlie Kaufman or I think it was, or no, uh, once Robert McKee wrote that book about how to write stories, it's like every director and scriptwriter in Hollywood started making stories upon this type of formula and they made all these great films and so there's all this competition yeah so maybe i'm not so happy about this video coming out because now they explain exactly what tricks i use too <laughs> so. robbie how about yourself i mean are you uh, are you much the same i mean you, you come up with the raw the raw material and then modify or do you use the process to come up with the raw material it depends what i'm working on film stuff <laughs> i just did a film score and it was oh, it was mental we did the whole score in two weeks and it was but it was a lot a crazy amount of music and um uh we had to work very quickly and we had to rely on the fact that it's really imperative that you kind of have things in kind of stored up not ideas necessarily but but kind of almost coping mechanisms so you know i have a large library of of, of, of channel strips or creative channel strips musical channel strips all sorts of things that I can quickly drag in that don't kind of slow you up and end up taking you off you know off off kind of piste in terms of what you're trying to achieve so yeah I, I have like everybody else a, a, a kind of a core set of, of, of tricks and and strategies for, for making certain things work and shoehorning things where they wouldn't necessarily seem apparent if you had to sit and think about how to do it um, but when I'm working on productions for me for albums, it's a bit different because I, I like to get right into the 
my new tie straight away. So once there's an actual song, um, which I, I hope that comes pretty much ready as a song, whether it be on a piano, a guitar or whatever, or if we write a song together with somebody, I write, it's very nuts and bolts. But I like to get very much into the production of the song as soon as possible so I can work out how the production is going to facilitate the vocal, which is the most important thing. So, yeah, it's a different process, that. Um, so do you, that, do you, I mean, do you, you do that because that, does that then give you a kind of a, a sound world to occupy in yeah. terms of other it's tracks a, and other, other, other processes that might be, uh, uh, might be applied to, uh, to yeah. similar tracks within the same collection of songs? So you get a sound, I suppose. Yeah, yeah I, li I like to try and establish what the project's going to be very early on. So, and I like, to, I like to work on a track and pretty much finish it and move on and work on another one. So I don't just like leaving songs all just like a big group of things all just open-ended. I like to kind of do one thing, focus on it, produce it, mix it, move on, do the next one, bearing in mind what I've done with the first one, you know, and then gradually the project takes shape and all that kind of thing. It's interesting that, isn't it? Because, I mean, when I've worked on albums in the past, there's usually a pivotal moment, which not necessarily the first track, but there's a pivotal yeah. moment where a sound just sort of, it's like, oh, yeah, that's it. That's, that's the kind of the direction or the kind of general yeah. feel or flavour of the album. And I suppose the problem is if that's track 10 in the sequence, then you might have to go back and rework the other ones. But you sort of have to find that thing. I mean, is it, is it the... It, I generally sorry. find it happens, sorry, with, are you, everyone froze for a minute. Um, I generally find it happens for me within the first three songs. I try and choose three songs that are kind of, a representation of the broad material on the album because albums usually have like sort of generally like maybe fast stuff mid-tempo and perhaps a couple more kind of you know kind of sort of restful moments that you can kind of bookend an album with or have in the middle or whatever and I try and I try and do a grouping of tracks first and foremost that kind of represent the overall body of work and then that way you can kind of work out how to kind of then kind of branch off for the other tracks that kind of have a kind of a I'm almost like a natural partner to themselves. Hmm, interesting. Do you find it's the same thing for you, Ty, in terms of uh, scoring for, uh, like, uh, well, say, the, the series that's just, just happened, the 1066 thing? Do you, have, do you work in the, with that sim a similar kind of approach? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you have, to find, you have to find a sound. You have to find something that's going to... to uh, uh, just, it's almost like a box to contain it in. And whether that be instrumentation or, you know, you limit yourself in terms of harmony or a particular sound or, yeah, you try to find the constraints. Because constraints, I've, I've found over the years, constraints are the things that make the good scores, all the best scores I've ever done and the best albums that I've done. I mean, the one I'm doing with, with Midge at the moment is um, we're finding that the con constraining it is actually making it better. Because the moment that, you know, the world is your oyster and you have no limitations, it, it just goes on and on and on and on. So um, for me, I mean, I've said this before, I normally spend before any project, I spend two days uh, developing a template uh, for that score. And that then serves as the template for that series or that album or that whatever. But normally with a, with a TV series, it's, it's yeah, it's two days just just sorting out a template. And then so creating the workspace, I suppose, if you, if you like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's almost just like kind of the equivalent of getting your desk up and ready with all the effects that you're going to want. All the, from my point of view, it's basically the template in terms of sounds, it's terms of textures, and instrumentation, um, that shapes and that shapes every track. Then, 
Well, that's yeah. interesting. And, and uh, do you find? I mean, I'm, I'm curious about this because I wanted to talk to you about this because obviously the 1066 uh, uh, year to conquer England. Uh, if you're in the UK, Dan Snow is a kind of uh, TV historian, does lots of kind of action-filled dramatizations of historic events, and this is about obviously the events surrounding 1066 and the uh, conquer and invasion of England. And uh, Ty, that it aired last night, the first episode, and uh, and I was just really, I, I was kind of curious about finding out how what that process is. I mean, you you know, you get the you get the call, then yeah. what happens? Then what happens? Well, Have you well, got the gig one, at that point? Yeah, I mean, this one's a funny one because this one, I mean, you you might remember. I mean, I did this the beginning of last year, basically, and uh, it kind of sat on the shelf for a bit, mainly to do with BBC politics, but it sat on the shelf for a bit, and um, so. The, the, the reason this is more interesting, I mean, I've got I've got a few series on at the moment. I mean, you know, I've got three series, four series on at the moment. But the reason this one's a bit different is simply the fact that, A, from a tech point of view, there's a load more synths on it than normal. And they, it all kind of came about kind of accidentally because, yeah, I got the call and I'm really fortunate. Touchwood, most of the time now, you know, they just they call me because they want me to do the, the job. So I got the call and I spent my couple of days doing my template. And, you know, I had long talks with the director and the producer about where to go with this, because this was a follow on from a series I did a couple of years before called Armada. And Armada, you know, it was a good score, but I always felt that there was more, we could have made it sound more modern, but we were kind of from the top downwards. We were getting pressured to, kind of be more not conventional but you know play the game really and and not get too too modern and too arty farty and uh whereas with this one it was kind of like that but i just kind of wanted to push my luck really and try and see what i could get away with ironically exactly the same time as working on an american series um and i'd done some sketches for the american series that were nothing like this very modern Lots of very distorted synths and uh, lots of beats. And, I mean, I shouldn't really say this because every composer will deny that this happens, but this is what a lot of composers do, is that when you get pressure to deliver, um, a lot of the time you basically have to kind of tread water because you're on other projects. And you either turn around to them and go, I'm really sorry, but I can't send you any more music because I'm on another project. Or you go, yeah, yeah, I, I can do some rough sketches, blah, 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 blah. So I didn't have time to send start sending sketches down for the uh, for 1066. So I st sent a few sketches and then a load of other sketches that I'd done for this uh, this American series that was completely inappropriate. But I sent them down anyway, almost expecting them to just go, well, why did you send us, you know, well, this isn't right. Why are you suddenly sent us a synth soundtrack about 1066? And ironically, you can guess what I'm going to say. The director started getting very excited about the sketches that were never used for the American series because they were very distorted synths and lots of sub bass. And uh, <laughs> he got really excited about it. And that then set the template because at that point the template that i'd originally set up scrapped and we went for a completely different set of rules basically so it was quite a it's quite a synthy um it's quite a synthy soundtrack lots of drums more I, I watched a bit of it last night and there were more drums than i remember but um lots of synths some hardware it started off very hardware driven and but because as the schedule got more and more ridiculous and we were needing instant recall as the cuts were coming in and changing, um, it got more, as the series went on, 
it got more software based in terms of the the synthesis just, just from a practical point of view it was the, the the first the first you know kind of bolt lot of work that i was working on it there was a lot of hardware there's a lot of moog a lot of solaris and and the um modal stuff um and it was great except when they then came back and changed the cut and i was having to change to the new pictures um it was just such a pain i mean recall obviously any, anything without a memory is a is a pain um, but there were certain there were certain textures and certain patches that I, I just couldn't get back again. It just couldn't, and I was yeah. stuck. <laughs> and then um, the moment I was then taking the audio tracks and you know time shifting them and pitch shifting them to try and make them, uh, it was losing something for me. So I then towards the last episode, most of the synthesis was done in the box, just from a practical point of view. Wow, I'm guessing you know I'm seeing both uh, Robbie and uh, and uh, and Charles kind of nodding. Sage, I mean this is this is one of the reasons you know everybody obviously always says you know analog is great, it's wonderful, but but this is precisely the reason why it's very difficult to use in this kind of scenario, right, Charles? That's right. Yeah. Um, I mean, whether it's anything that Moog makes or Arturia's previous stuff, the uh, I'm looking at it because it's right over there. The um, the mini brute i use that a lot and stuff but you know there's no memory on it so what i do is i i take out my ipad and just take pictures of everything constantly <laughs> taking pictures and same thing with my console my console has no recall on it because it's you know it's an all valve console so i just just take pictures. pictures yeah that's all you can do you know <laughs> so what you even, what you need what you need then is a projector that can project onto the screen and then you can see where the knob positions well that'd be a hey there's a product oh. Uh, uh, Robbie, you've got one of those little portable projectors. You could do recall shots with your portable projector, project it onto the actual unit, and then match all the settings from that. Or, are you the same though? I mean, I'm guessing you know, you're probably it, for films. I'd imagine in the boxes or, or TV stuff, in the box has to be the oh, way to go, yeah. right? Uh, oh, the whole the whole thing is in the box for me for for um for film stuff. I mean, it's just it's just excruciating if you try and do anything else. I mean, on this last film, you know, it was like, it's, it, it, they always tell you it's a locked film or whatever. It's all locked. <laughs> you know, there's going to be no edits. And then you do the music and they go, oh, we've just put a bit of music in. And the music was so good. We just thought now perhaps we just add in three seconds at, you know, minute three of the film. And then you realize that all your cues, all within the next <laughs> 10 cues, are all out. And they, or they go, oh, it's so nice if it could just come in like, a, you know, just like three seconds later like midway through a bar it makes no musical sense you know and it, it's, if you've done all analog and you've printed it to audio it's just a i'm not going to say what it is but it's yeah. just a, it's just it's just a nightmare so it's it's hard enough it's hard enough as ty knows and chicky knows juggling all that stuff in the box let alone then having to think about recalling analog stuff printing it again and recall it print it again i mean i know i know things like first stranger things i just read in sound on sound they were saying that there were certain devices they set up and they were so integral that they just left them in their modular app, never touched them for the whole time of the production because they were scared that they would get asked to do something with it and they'd never be able to do it again. And they actually did. So, you know, you know that, that's the kind of, you know, that's a very brave, brave person who does that. Life. <laughs> I started doing that on this with the boom stars. I set the boom stars up and they literally, they didn't get, they didn't get changed. There were two, two of the boom stars were used for some things that literally I started on it. And then 
it's quite a long one. I think it was about four months or something. And for four months, they didn't change at all. They were at, they were that set for for four months. So and now, kept, and, and and now we understand why you've got so many synths, Ty. It's not actually, actually, yeah. so, the only reason I've got so many synths is they only do one sound at a time for months on end. I can't change anything. That's, that, <laughs> that, that's, so, that's fine, Ty. That's fine, Ty. Until Boo comes in and goes, "What does this do, Daddy?" And then you that's it. It's all over. It's all over. She's been brought up well. She doesn't touch anything. Just going back to what Robbie was saying, because he's absolutely right. And I just finished a series about Locked Picture. Locked Picture, basically, just in case anyone doesn't know, Locked Picture is the stage where they've essentially finished all the visuals. So the film is ready to have the music put on. And they then send you uh, the film and you write the music to it. So the whole point of it being locked is the fact that they're not going to change the visuals. So everything you write, which I write is frame accurate, will fit perfectly to the final picture. So locked picture is, for anyone that does what we do, is the most important thing. And so when you hear locked picture, it's got to be locked. It's got to be right. And I ended up with, I think it was eight, eight times I was told this is a locked picture. So I'd write to it. And you'd write to it, and then, like, a few days later, oh, yeah, we've done a few changes. And they have no idea the implications of just a few changes here and there can completely destroy a piece, because we've sat there beat-matching everything, you know, so all the hits hit and whatever. So, yeah, eight times on one on one programme, I was told it was locked. Ouch. That is a, a very painful thing. And, yeah. and it's fascinating to hear. Anyway, thank, thank you very much for sharing that, Ty, and for you other guys as well. Um, we've got another one more thing uh, to look at, which was uh, this one. This is the new Eventide hey guys, Structural Effects. Here, and today I'm going to be walking you through Fission, which is the first in our line of structural effects plugins. Structural effects is a term we've coined that... I'll fast forward it a bit, but basically what this does is separate the fundamental from the transient, and then you can process them separately. And and it's a really... There are some... Here's the first example. So this is a horrible-sounding snare. I want to just pull it out, maybe, to make the, the drums sit a little better in the mix. So it's keeping the transient, but losing the fundamental. I just have a nice, sharp, snappy snare drum with a little, a lot less ring in it, actually. I mean, that's just one example. There are plenty yeah. of other examples. And it's a really interesting... I'm, I'm guessing, Robbie, this is something that interests you a lot because, I mean, it's, it's, I guess it's a real-time thing and you can do it on all sorts of... Uh, it's kind of like a, 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 an, an FFT, a frequency analysis and transient analysis, transient shaper, but on steroids, right? Yeah, I mean, these sort of plugins are the sort of plugins now... You know, when everyone, someone says, I brought out a new compressor, I brought out a new EQ, I'm like, woohoo, I've got about a million. It's things like this, which you kind of think, take take an idea and take do something slightly different. I know that there'll be numerous times on projects within the next few months where I, where I would think, if only I had a tool that did something like that. So those kind of tools, uh, um, I, I, I always lap them up because even if I don't use them all the time, you can you can you can bet your bottom dollar that the one time you do need it is you know it's worth having it in your in your arsenal of things. So I mean I like the thing it did. It was the opposite way around. I saw the the thing they did with the toms where they, oh, they tuned, tuned the tail of the tom but kept the transient. Uh, it's such a great thing, you know, because it's not the same just tuning down a sample because all the transient goes all flabby and all that kind of thing. So uh, yeah, I can see myself using this for all sorts of things because. I like to print a lot of things to audio, and quite often, you know, I might print like a really 
a really exotically kind of automated bass thing or whatever, and then I need to drop it into another key and uh, things like just changing the pitch or invariably, even if you've got all the tools in the, you know, available, you know, all the different versions of like shifting, it, it doesn't quite do the job. Whereas something like this would do a much better job at that. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get this definitely. Ah, uh, Okay. Charles, I'm guessing for, for drums, it looked that was actually pretty good. I, you know, I don't know what you use. I mean, your mixing must involve quite a lot of drum stuff. So, you know, this looked like a pretty cool idea, right? Yeah, it does look really cool. It, it, the, you know, the way it, it reminds me a little bit of, um, God, I forgot the program. It's Drumatom. Do you remember that? It's a, Drumatom. It's things, yeah, I think it's called Drumatom. I have it, but I, I can't remember exactly what it's called. <laughs> and you can run all the different drum mics into it, and it will isolate them. From the rest of the kit so if you have like a lot of hi-hat bleeding into your snare it it makes the snare sound really natural and there's no hi-hat and it's not a gate just it does uh it's like frequency analysis. analysis stuff right yeah and um and it's sort of smart analysis it reminded me a little bit of that so for i i use that sometimes for drums you know like robbie said just occasionally you know it's it makes it worthwhile i could I was thinking when i was watching the video about this earlier that i don't know, I don't know if i'd ever buy this but you know Thinking about it, I probably would because I would use it occasionally. Um, I'd probably use it as sound as a sound design tool more than anything. It's sort of like adaptive verb. I don't really use it as a reverb. I use it for sound design, you know. So I could see that would be a positive way to use it. Yeah, yeah, it looks kind of interesting. How about you, Ty? Any uh, any any thoughts on how you could use them? I'm guessing it's going to have some use, right? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with Chicky because I think. Uh, I think it's I think it's good, and I'll I mean I'll definitely buy it because I think it'll be it'll be useful. But I'm with Chicky. I think it's more sound design rather than anything else because um, everything I've heard from it so far, I mean this is just a general thing. This is a general uh, subject about these kind of plugins. Is the fact that there's a kind of acceptance at the moment that they, they there's a lot of artifacts with this i mean i've listened closely on you know my monitors and when you start listening to this these stuff once it's been processed the processed stuff it, it, it has a there are, it has its hard artifacts i'm not saying it's like mp3 artifacts but you can hear that it's processed and there's a lot of plugins at the moment that um are kind of of this ilk things that are being very clever and are doing fantastic, amazing things, you know, like Melodyme and some of the um, Synaptic stuff, and you know, and they're great. But you can hear the processing. And I listened to an album. I'm not going to say what the album was, but I listened to an album recently where you could hear all the processing. You can. There's a kind of acceptance at the moment that almost like the processing is a is a is a sound. It's a current, trendy sound to have. And it's either that or it's just a really bad mix. And, you know, but, um, but, and then so I have a bit of, so from a, from a um, saving the day kind of perspective, maybe from a sound, sound, sound design perspective, I think it does a lot of, you know, it has a lot of um, potential. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll buy it because it's, I think it's, as, as, as Robbie and Chicky have both said, there are going to be plenty of times when it will, you know, it will, you know, earn its worth basically yeah save the day uh yeah. i'll just i'll just just drop that that's the screen there it's available for uh the all the usual formats uh, i think it's on special offer at the moment for 97 bucks uh going up to 179 so it might well be worth uh one other thing yeah i was just gonna say i like plugins like this that are really nice and simple and flat in terms of their look yes 
Yes. I just wish more yes. games were like this. I just wish they were more like... I just hate it when they're all too complicated and three-dimensional and... I just like them like this, simple. You can just, you know, they're good to look at for long periods of time. And I just think more people should be less adventurous with their interfaces. That's okay. controversial. <laughs> in terms of the, in terms of the, what, what of is, them. what do they call? It? Is it skeuomorphic when they, when yeah. it looks like the thing, or is it, is it non-skeuomorphic? Sorry, Chucky. Yes. I was going to say that I actually am writing quite a bit about skeuomorphics right now. So yeah, that's where they try to make it. Well, the, one aspect is where they try to make it look like the original thing, um, sort of like how yeah. on your iPhone they have the little phone symbol that looks like an old-fashioned phone. That's also skeuomorphics. But yeah, like all the UA plugins. I mean, those are meant to model classic pieces of gear, so they make the interface like that. that. Whereas, you have the, that's yeah. yeah, that's different. And and I think um, you know I, I like I like what Robbie's saying though about these sort of flatter-looking um, uh, plugins because. You know, I think it's there's almost like two different classes, of, not a class maybe isn't the right word, but two different uh, groups of plugins. And I and I like Surfer EQ. You don't expect Surfer EQ to sound like any other, you know, classic EQ. It has a thing that it does, and I like the look of that. It's just very. It looks like like code, basically, like fancy yeah. code. <laughs> so ah, I like okay, it. okay. I mean, well, that's, that's cool. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the pro- that the prime reason that I won't buy a slate. You know, like you've got, Ty, the small one. The prime reason I won't buy that is because I just don't want that interface with all, like, three-dimensional buttons that look like they're off an old, you know, multi-track machine for all, like, all the functions and stuff. I just want a flat interface that matches my DAW so it feels like a part of the DAW. And to me, that's the only thing that stops me buying something like that. So I think it's, it, it does have a big bearing on people's buying of things or their perception of things. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, it looks like the real thing or looks like a real thing being the case. I just wanted to drop uh, one more thing in it. Um, this was something that Rich Hilton sent in, actually, which was uh, it's like a, a a thing for the new MacBooks, which is what I've got here. And it's uh, uses the touch bar so you can create all these uh, custom buttons that have all these custom actions, which is actually pretty cool. Because when we're doing video work, I, I immediately bought it and thought, I know what, because when I'm doing the video work, we, we take a... We take a card out of the out of the at the camera at Nam. We put it into the computer. Then you have to open the folders, show package contents because they're these funny little BDMV type containers which you can't open as a file. Open that, then get down to the bottom level, find the footage, then then rename. And uh, I, I created a custom uh, flow today, which is just one button, and I press that, and it goes and opens up all the files in my video folder selects them all and then says what do you want them to rename them to and it's just one button press whereas it used to take and I, I just wanted to bring that up and that was something that Rich mentioned it's like five bucks I mean I know there won't be a lot of you with this kind of thing out but this whole thing you know you can customise the buttons and all that so it's just a really neat little utility and it, it, it's not just for the touch bar it does you know macros I think it's been around for quite a while and they've only just incorporated that and that was the oh. one thing that I was I was noticing um, when I first saw the touch bar I said, oh, as soon as it's opened up to third parties that's where it's going to get interesting and they there you go. Just wanted to mention that. That's called uh, what is it actually called? It's called uh, uh, Better Touch Tool, and that's it there. Just wanted a little top tip there for those of you who are using Macs. The only problem for me is my Mac is up on a little stand, and I'm using this keyboard, so I have to reach over it to actually get the touch bar. So it doesn't kind of work in this environment, but it'll work better, you know, if I'm in the field producing video or working on or, um, sound or whatever, or any of those things. That was it, really. Anybody else got anything they want to add before we uh, we close um, procedure for today? I think we covered pretty much everything. 
Ty, yeah. uh, 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 one thing I wanted to ask you, Ty, quickly. How many cues, roughly, per one of those 1066 episodes? Uh, I think it was about 40 cues per episode. About 40. Wow. About wow. 40 pieces. So, if, you, yeah. if you watch it, there's, there's, I think in a 59-minute in a episode, I think there's probably about 55, 54, 55. Do you know, it might be more than that. It's somewhere around the 55 minutes of music. So there's not that much without music. Blimey. Wow, yeah. that's a lot even, of work. Yeah, if you just look at, if, if even just the opening pre-titles, the first three minutes of it, that in itself took forever just because they that had to kind of integrate about four bits of music into one, you know. Robbie, so. yeah. Can I just ask you one thing, Ty? Because this is something that I, I, I've, I've started doing a lot, particularly in the documentary films that I've done is that um, I mix the cues with the di- I try and get the relative level. I don't work, you know, I get the dialogue to where I think that they're realistically going to put it. And I bring yeah. the, the music down to where I know I'm depressingly that it's probably going to be. And then yeah. I mix the music with it down at that level, because quite often if you mix the music at a normal level, when they drop it to the depressingly low level, so many things just disappear. You never hear them. Yeah. So yeah. So I mix I mix and mix it with some of the things that are really out of whack if you listen to it as a normal mix. Is that how you do it? Yeah. And not only that, there's also, depending on what it is, I mean, I, I kind of went through a period where I specialised in doing loads of uh, big stuff with loads of sound effects like volcano stuff and, you know, kind of ocean floods and all that kind of thing. And so what I then used to do was I used to get them to sound me or send me all the sound design. And then I used to arrange the track, EQ the track around the sound design so that the track could still, when I did Super Volcano and there's these places where obviously there's huge eruptions. So I'd sit there and they'd send me the, the uh, files with all the sound design for the volcanoes. And then I do EQ dips in my music track. So if you listen to the music track by itself, and I've done this with the dialogue as well. If you listen to the track by itself, it sounds really weird um, because there's a huge hole where if you then put the sound effects in, my music kind of envol- you know, kind of comes around it and basically means the music can be louder, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Ah. yeah. So, yeah. Nifty tricks. Nifty tricks, all useful because it is. It must well, be very right. depressing. All, to, all, all that work and then they just turn it down for some voiceover or a kind of massive, you know, but the thing is, you do you do get you do get used to it. You do kind of have to. I mean, when I first started out, honestly, I got so annoyed and upset because as you spend months doing something, and exactly as Robbie said, you'd listen to it and go, "Where the?" I mean, I've 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 got a friend who did a series, and he spent months doing the series, and said when he watched it back, he was almost in tears because he might just as well have just given them, you know, kind of two hours of a hi hat going for all the work. It was. That's, that's all you could hear. All you could hear was going, <laughs> and this was a huge orchestral kind of, you know, lots of synths. So yeah, it's you kind of get used to it though. But as, exactly as Robbie said, you learn the tricks to try and make your tracks kind of sit around. Sometimes you get it right. Sometimes, sometimes once it's out of your hands and it's down with the dubbing mixer, sometimes they just get it really wrong and both ways i mean there was a series that went out i'm not going to say again a bbc series that went out last year or yeah last year where i don't care what anyone said the music was too loud and i've i very rarely say that i very wasn't, rarely say that. wasn't ssgb was it no no <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I only say that because there's a there's a series out at the moment where everybody says they can't hear it because the actors are mumbling, but it may be you know whenever it's because of the underscore. <laughs> the underscore is too loud or whatever. Anyway, you know, um, uh, carry on. <laughs> no, no, this one of the is obviously an overscore, not an underscore. Underscore, yeah, <laughs> a midscore. Anyway, yeah. guys, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for sharing your recent experiences and uh, all your other input as well. It's very much appreciated, uh, Mr. Charles Chicky Reeves. I guess you're are you uh, in for another session? Are you working on something at the moment, or have you got something in the in the in the pipeline? I'm doing a lot of writing and research, like uh, comparing. Uh, doing comparisons between tape simulators and actual tape. Ah, uh, yes. So I'm still working on that. And then uh, and then a few sessions, and then I go on tour with Robbie in May. Excellent. That sounds yeah, like Howard, Howard Jones, but it's Robbie. So. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, thank you very much, Charles. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, also, I will say thank you to Mr. Robbie Bronneman, who, uh, well, we know what you're doing in a little while. So you finished the yeah. film score. Has it been signed off, or have you still got no, tweaks? Mate, it got signed off last night. Hey! Congratulations! There was, like, there was like this one provision in the contract where they had, could come back for minor changes, and they came back and said, "Could you just bring in this one cue one bar later?" And I went, "Yes, we can bring that cue in one bar later." So that well, was like it was like it was like I cannot believe this is happening. You know, it's like it was like yeah, it was one of those. We did to, to be fair, we had two weeks of backwards and forwards, but it was like. I was I was thinking I was going to get this long list of things again, but no, it was just one little thing. So, all's well that ends well. Excellent. Well, I am very glad to hear that, Robbie. Um, glad to hear that. And also, Ty, congratulations on having your uh, episode aired. I mean, this must happen all the time. Do you get to go to the premiere? Whatever that is. <laughs> it's the BBC. They have rap parties, but I very rarely go. But um, no, I don't even know when it goes out. I only knew about that one. There were another two two series. One went out the night before and one went out on Friday that I, I don't even know when they go out. They just go out. So, but you know, it's, it's just, it's work. It's work. I'm on to the next one. I'm on to the next one now. I've done about six series since then. So anyway. Bloody hell. Anyway, thank you very much everybody for watching. Uh, If you're wanting some more synth action, uh, we've got the matrix brute uh, review, which will be going out very shortly. If you were watching the pre-show, you might have just seen it in full where I sent it out to preview for everybody to see. But uh, again, just a few tweaks on that and then it'll be live uh, hopefully this week. So I know a lot of you have been very keen on that. We've also got a lot of other stuff coming up. So I want to say thank you everybody for watching. And don't forget if you want to enter the competition uh, for the isotope neutron, I'll just give that a quick flash up there. Uh, you tweet the hashtag see your mix and the hashtag neutron to at sonic state and at isotope inc and that will get you entered to the competition so the hashtag see your mix one word and the hashtag neutron to at sonic state now at isotope inc once again we thank you very much for the show sponsor uh we will see you next time that's it for this week bye bye <laughs>